do. Well, normally we take a look at the back of our notebook to review the disciplines, but today we have a handout for you. Um, so if you would please refer to that, and you can use that to take notes today. Well, we've been reviewing our Wellspring purpose and the disciplines since September 10th. So by now you're really very familiar with them, right? And I hope that you're finding that applying the disciplines to your life is becoming second nature to you. And that you're being blessed by the results. So I know that Sarah and your discussion leaders and I, we would love to hear the specifics on how this is playing out in your lives. Sharing insights and sharing victories and even struggles, it's very encouraging to others. It allows us to pray for you. It allows us to rejoice with you. And most importantly, it's giving God the glory for his amazing grace that he's lavishing upon you. So share your stories with us, please. So this morning, I'd like to take a very practical approach as I reveal to you some of the ways that these disciplines have been playing out in my life. And hopefully, some of what I share will strike a chord with you. Uh, And it can encourage you to look at the disciplines with fresh eyes. So let's start by reading the Wellspring Purpose right there on the top of your page. Let's read it out loud together, shall we? The Wellspring Purpose, to equip and encourage the women of Grace Bible Church to shepherd their hearts toward Jesus Christ with the Word of God so that they live out the Gospel, thus strengthening the Church with its Gospel purpose. Well, if you're like me, we have the tendency to let familiar things lose their impact. And since by now we're so familiar with this statement, I'd like to do something a little different. I'd like to approach this purpose from the very end and work our way to the beginning of the sentence. So we're going to look at it backwards. So first of all, let's look and see what is the gospel purpose of the church. Well, every Sunday you get a church bulletin. And right under the name Grace Bible Church, you will see it. It's to draw in, to build up, and to send out believers. You know that beautiful cycle? It takes a person through becoming a believer, to growing in the knowledge and grace of the Lord, and then in turn to spreading the good news and drawing in new believers into the fold. And these new believers are themselves built up, drawing in, sending out, and so forth. So how is this accomplished? Well, let's look at our purpose. It's by living out the gospel. Well, how can we effectively live out the gospel? Well, look at your purpose. It's done only by shepherding our hearts toward Jesus Christ. Now, how do we shepherd our hearts toward Jesus Christ? And you know the answer to this. With the word of God. So let's remind ourselves that drawing in, building up, 
and sending out is done in our homes, that's D2. And in our sphere of influence, that's D3. Only after we purposefully, intentionally, and continually shepherd our hearts toward God through his word, in particular, the gospel. That's D1. Ladies, we never, ever graduate from D1. Well, have you ever wondered why? Why do we need to remind ourselves continually of the gospel? Well, ladies, you know it. The gospel is our cornerstone. It's our true north. And without continually bathing our hearts in the gospel, we can get our eyes off of Christ, we can lose our focus, and we can get distracted with so many other things that are clamoring for our attention and our affection. So how have you been applying these disciplines to your lives this last year? You know, for me, the most practical thing about the disciplines is how they help set up a road map or a grid, if you will, for the way my life is to operate. The disciplines can act as a wonderful diagnostic tool to help me analyze or help me assess my life, especially when the Holy Spirit reveals specific symptoms of sin that I'm allowing to creep into my life. You know, we all hate that word audit, right? Because it reminds us of tax returns. But I like to think it's valuable to use the disciplines as an auditing tool to evaluate my life. How about you? Is your life too hectic? Are you worried about something? Are you giving in to temptations? Are you becoming judgmental or irritated with people? Well, that's a good thing because becoming aware of it is a good thing. Let me put it that way. Becoming aware of this is a great first step to assessing your heart to make sure that you are guarding it with all diligence. So you can ask yourself, is what I'm doing helping me to shepherd my heart toward God or is it hindering it? Or is what I'm doing helping to minister to those in my household or is it impeding my ministry? Does my heart's focus give me more of a desire to step into the church to shepherd others? toward God and the gospel. So before we take a look at the individual disciplines, I think it's good to pause for a moment and ask ourselves, what does that word discipline mean? So how would you define it? What thoughts come to your mind? Could it be spanking a child? Saying no to that second piece of cake? exercising every day? Well, according to the Intera Dictionary, discipline is both a verb and it's a noun. And it means several things, including training to ensure proper behavior, a controlled, orderly state, conscience, 
conscious control over lifestyle and to make yourself do something regularly. So did you notice the words regulation, order, control, restraint? You have it right there in front of you in the forms of D1, D2, and D3. Now the elders exhort us, don't leapfrog over D1. So let's look at that first. D1, you know it. The heart. She prayerfully shepherds her heart toward God through the word of God and in particular the gospel. Well, because we're so familiar with this discipline, let's do what we did. Let's look at it backwards to see if we can uncover something new. Let's focus on that shepherding her heart through the gospel. Well, practically speaking, what are some ways that you have found helpful for bringing your heart to the gospel? Well, for me, singing a gospel-centered song or even part of that song helps me take my heart that is so prone to wander and bring it right back to the feet of Jesus. You know, and an example of an excellent song that we sing regularly at church is All I Have is Christ. You know, as I read the words of this song to you right now, I want you to notice how the gospel is able to penetrate our hearts and get our focus back on Christ. And it goes like this. I once was lost in darkest night, yet thought I knew the way. The sin that promised joy in life had led me to the grave. I had not hope that you would own a rebel to your will. And if you had not loved me first, I would refuse you still. But as I ran my hellbound race, indifferent to the cost, you looked upon my helpless state and led me to the cross. And I beheld your love displayed. You suffered in my place. You bore the wrath reserved for me. Now, all I know is grace. Hallelujah. All I have is Christ. Hallelujah. Jesus is my life. You know, if you're moved by any song that we sing at church on Sunday and you want the words to it so you can meditate throughout the week, go up and ask Josh. He has them right there. He'll give them to you. He gives them away. So do that. I encourage you to do that after the service. So, okay, let's look back at D1, and let's look at the next part of it. She shepherds her heart through the Word of God. Well, why the Word of God? You know, why not just think positive thoughts and work really hard to get your thinking back on track? Okay, well, if that's too secular for you, how about a Christian book written by a really great Christian author? Well, ladies, what did Jesus do? What did Jesus do? He used the word of God. Jesus in Matthew 4, 4 emphatically states that man is to live by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And John MacArthur says of this verse, a more important source of sustenance than food. It nurtures our spiritual needs in a way that benefits us eternally rather than merely providing temporal relief from physical hunger. So, I'd like to invite you to search your minds right now. 
Let's think of some other verses that describe the importance of God's word. Okay, so we're thinking of the importance of God's word. You know, there are so many. What are you thinking about? For example, Proverbs 35 says that every word of God is pure. He is a shield to those who put their trust in him. Jesus says in Luke 11:28, "Blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it." And in Ephesians 6:17, Paul instructs believers to take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So ladies, real quickly, right then I went from the Old Testament to a gospel to the, one of the epistles. It's all there. Well, so far, we've noticed that we need to shepherd our hearts, number one, through the word of God, and number two, in particular, the gospel. So now we're ready to look at the very first part of that sentence. She prayerfully shepherds her heart toward God. Okay, so how are you doing this? How have you been doing this all year? Well, I like to think of approaching my time in the word much like doing things in the kitchen. For example, just as I would be very foolish to go to all the trouble to make a cake and then throw it in the oven without preheating it first, I would be foolish to start reading my Bible without preheating my heart. Or when cleaning the kitchen counter. I don't just take a dry sponge and put it on the counter. That would be very ineffective. So in the same way, I think of moistening my heart, like I have to moisten that sponge to receive what God wants to teach me. Well, Jeff and I do this every morning when we take a quick look at what the focus of our Bible reading will be. We notice the headings above the passages. And then we pray that God will open our eyes um, so that we can learn something new about his character from what we're reading. You know, I teach first grade, and what I just described to you is one of the reading strategies we teach. It's called setting a purpose for reading. And it's a great strategy because what it does is it prepares the reader to have an actively engaged mind while reading. So when Jeff and I are finished reading, we often talk about what's new to us and what God's Uh, what part of God's character was revealed. You know, it's so comforting to know that the Holy Spirit is helping us. It's reproving, it's using his word to teach, to reprove us, to correct us, and to train us in righteousness. So now let's look at discipline two. The home. She ministers to those in her household with our heart for God and for the gospel. Have you ever sat next to somebody who's watching TV with a remote control in his hand who never stays on the same channel long enough to enjoy any particular program? Well, my brother does this, and it drives me crazy. So when I'm sitting with him and he's flipping, I say, Tom, just stay on one channel long enough so we can find out if it's worth watching. Well, you know, I do myself a big favor when I ask myself the following questions. On what channel 
is my heart set on? Is it fixed on Jesus or am I channel surfing? Remember, it's not enough to simply agree, hey, that that's a good idea. Instead, I need to do ministry in my household. I need to pay attention to it, not just for a fleeting moment like uh, like I'm channel surfing. Like, okay, I was nice to my husband. Check. Now I get to do what I want to do. You know, the Holy Spirit helps us have a single-minded devotion to Christ. I love that. Which will flow out of a single-minded affection for ministry to those in my household. Philippians 2.13 states that, oh, I love this verse, it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. I praise God for this. I have it written on my mirror at home. Because... Ah, because on my own strength, I wouldn't even have the will. But he gives me the will to do anything. And without him, I wouldn't even want to serve anyone else. I'd want to be too busy serving me. So how does this apply to you? What happens if you're single? If you're living alone? Does that mean, oh, I'm off the hook? Nope. Because you, yourself, reside in your house, right? So you get to minister to your own heart. In my case, it's just Jeff and me at home. And I need to ask myself, how can I best minister to my husband? It's only when I have my affections set on God with the Holy Spirit's help that I even have a chance of doing this in a God-honoring way. So what specifically is it about God that I have my heart set on? What do I have my affections set on? There's so many things to set your affections on when you're talking about God. But one of the things I like to do and I like to set my affections on is what God says about himself. So take a moment right now and think about what you have been reading in your Bible that reveals the character of God, what he says about himself. Well, recently, Jeff and I read in Deuteronomy 32.4, and it says, For I proclaim the name of the Lord, ascribe greatness to our God, the rock. His work is perfect, for all his ways are just. And God, he are just, a God of faithfulness, Without injustice, righteous and upright is he. On my own, I would fail miserably at D2. But I can praise God that while I have my heart set on the right channel, I can get out of the way and I can proclaim those good things about God to my husband. You know, this has been a real breakthrough for me this year. Because I spent a good part of this year complaining to my poor husband about how hard it is to be a teacher these days. Believe me, it is much better for Jeff, who's had a hard day of work himself, to have a wife who would rather focus on the faithfulness of her God than on the tiredness of her bones. 
you know, doing this is wonderful training ground for what comes next. What comes next? D3. So let's look at it. Discipline three. With the heart for God and the gospel and fulfilling her ministry within her household, she steps into the church to shepherd others toward God and the gospel. Let me emphatically say it is impossible to be effective in the church and in your sphere of influence if you neglect D1 and D2. You can't fake it. You can't fake your way through D3. Just the other day, my very best friend confided in me that her husband wanted out of their 36-year marriage. What a shocker. What a heartbreak. You know, I needed to be ready right then to give her the only words that could bring comfort to her broken heart. Those words could be a soothing balm to her, and I needed to have them. So I got my Bible out, and I showed her what God had to say about her, about her husband, and about what her attitude should be during this time of sorrow. Ladies, I couldn't tell my heartbroken Christian friend, "Uh uh-oh, hold on, wait a minute. Uh, I'll get back to you after I've spent some quality time in the Word. Give me a week. No, I needed to be ready right then to remind her of the hope that is in her. How about you? Do you have your Bible ready at all times? Where do you keep it? Do you have a way to access those key verses quickly? If not, I encourage you, take some time and get ready for that minute. Well, what I shared about my friend is only one example of why we need to be ready. We need to shepherd our hearts toward God so that we can help our hearts and help the hearts of others to think rightly and to remember, hallelujah, all I have is Christ. Hallelujah, Jesus is my life. Well, the way I look at it, daily attacks from without and daily attacks from within, my own sinful nature, they can both blindside and and defeat us or they can give us another opportunity to rehearse the gospel to ourselves, to preach it to others and to praise God for rescuing us and working in our lives to make us more like Christ. So I'd like to close with a helpful illustration on the merits of being ready at all times by being disciplined in the disciplines. Well, my friend at work has a friend who just completed um, training to be a Navy SEAL. Now, as you know, the Navy SEALs have distinguished themselves as an individually reliable and collectively disciplined, highly skilled maritime force. You'll remember SEAL Team 6. We all heard about them. They're one of the United States' four secretive counterterrorism and special mission units that brought down Osama bin Laden last year. They didn't just do it on a whim. They practiced. They practiced on both American coasts And then they went to a segregated camp at um, Bagram Airfield in Afghanistan in early April, about a year ago, 2011. 
Now the attack itself only lasted 38 minutes. No casualties. Why were they so successful? They were prepared. Wow, prospective SEALs, they go through intense training. It's considered by the military experts to be the toughest training in the world. The intense physical and mental conditioning that it takes to become a SEAL, it begins in BUDS, which stands for Basic Underwater Demolition demolition or SEAL training. You know, and I was able to see a video of just a small part of that training. And what I saw made such an impact on me. So I want to picture, I want you to picture yourself as a SEAL trainee, okay? So first of all, you're underwater. You have your mask and you have your scuba tank. It's kind of dark down there. You've got a special piece of equipment that you have to assemble. And you have to do it in a certain amount of time. So the clock is ticking. Now, you're making good progress when all of a sudden your trainer approaches you from behind. You don't even see it. That's your blind side. What he does is he takes, he rips off your mask and he tangles up your breathing cord really tight. Not just a little bit, not just a kink. He tangles it up. What are you going to do? Okay. What are you going to do? Your life and the life of others depends on you completing the mission. What are you going to do? Well, first, you have to fight that panic, right? That flight or flight instinct that we have. Like, just go to the surface and get some air. You have to fight that. And then you have to calmly go through what you've trained a million times before. How to unkink that hose. How to untangle it. That's your lifeline. You've got to untangle that so that you can breathe again. And once you've accomplished that, then you can find your mask and then you can complete your mission. Ladies, just watching that video made my palms sweat. Now, many people fail the first time and the second time because they just they can't do it. They, they can't overcome that fear, that fight or flight mechanism. They just want to, want to flee, want to get to the surface. But the only way that they can overcome that is to calmly tell themselves, I know this. I've gone through this. I know this. Calm themselves down and go through the steps that they've practiced hundreds of times before. You know, that's exactly what the disciplines help us do. You know that? From preheating and pre-moistening our hearts to reading the word, to shepherding our hearts through the word, to ministering to others in our household with our heart for God and for the gospel, to shepherding others as we step out into the church. We are fulfilling the gospel purpose. We're building in, I'm sorry, we're drawing in, building up, and sending out. Whatever we face, whatever blindsides us, Whatever challenges we face. Just yesterday, my daughter-in-law texted me. We're watching Johnny, my our little grandson, and she said, and she's like four and a half months pregnant, five months. She said, I'm having contractions. I'm going to the hospital. <gasps> Whatever happens, thankfully she's okay. I have to tell you that. We have to say, 
okay, shh, wait, I know this. Calm down, I know this. I've been in training. With God's help, I know what to do because I've been equipped with the right tools. I have the right training to complete my mission. You know, we know how to do this only after we prayerfully shepherd our hearts toward God through the word of God and in particular what? The gospel. Hallelujah. All I have is Christ. Hallelujah. Jesus is my life. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you so much for drawing us in, for saving us. Thank you so much for how you use the word of God to build us up so that we can be effective and we can be sent out to draw others in with your help. Lord, help us not to glance at your word. Help us to gaze at your word. Help our hearts to be fixed on the right channel, to be set on you. Lord, thank you for the training that we receive every day so that we can say, I know this. Thank you, God. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Well, this morning we are wrapping up Discipline 2, and we're just paving the way for moving into Discipline 3. And so to do that, we're going to look at, look at Luke chapter 10, verses 38 to 42, and it's the account of Mary and Martha, which may be pretty familiar. So go ahead and turn to Luke 10, and I just want to give you a little preview of one way that God worked this passage, these lessons, into my heart this week, Um, because what I'm going to say is not something that I've got all sewn up. It's something that I want you to help me continue to learn and grow in as well. Maybe you've had days like this. Last Sunday afternoon, kids were going over to Freestone Park to play Frisbee, and I knew Scott had things he needed to do, and I thought, this is it. I'm going to have a quiet afternoon. (laughs) Right? I've got my cup of coffee. I'm in my favorite chair. I'm ready. I'm ready. And I was going to work on this lesson. See, I was even doing something really good with my time, right? (laughs) Right? So I deserved it, right? I deserved it to have this uninterrupted afternoon. And I don't even have to give you the details. You know what happened, right? You know that that's not quite how it turned out. And right in the middle, having this open, I got to see how badly I need the lessons of this passage. Because because I wasn't very happy with some of the choices that other people were making. And so the moral of the story is that we do need to shepherd our hearts with God's word. We need to be in his word. But being in his word doesn't necessarily mean that we're shepherding our hearts with it. The Lord showed me right there in the middle of thinking that I was going to be preparing a lesson about the word that my heart was self-willed. And that rather than being submissive and humble and trusting in him and being surrendered to him to treasure the people that he has put in my life, I cared more about what I wanted to get done. And his grace abounds to sinners. That's our hope.
he has encouraged me, as I hope that he also encourages you, um, as he has helped me to understand my sin more clearly through this lesson and better prepared me to identify it and by his grace to flee back to Jesus. So how about you? Have you ever... um, have you ever felt that in your ministry, maybe to those in your home or to those outside your home, did you ever feel that that ministry seemed to involve endless preparations? Do you ever feel distracted, carried away by all the demands of those preparations? Or do you ever feel left alone in your service, left to do everything yourself, or maybe like me, wishing you could be left alone? Do you ever feel that no one really values or is sensitive to the demands of your ministry, whether in your home or outside of it? Do you ever judge those around you who seem oblivious to the demands that you're under? Do you ever wonder how you're ever going to get everything done? Have you ever felt that maybe you started out well, but that at some point you lost sight of the one you're ultimately serving. Well, if so, then you, like me, will be able to relate to Martha. And because it is so easy to relate to her, we need to hear Jesus' words this morning as he addresses both Martha and Mary. So let's go ahead and read our passage. We're in Luke chapter 10, verse 38. Now, as they were traveling along, he entered a certain village. And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. And she had a sister called Mary, who moreover was listening to the Lord's words seated at his feet. But Martha was distracted with all her preparations. And she came up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Then tell her to help me. But the Lord answered and said to her, Martha... Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things, but only a few things are necessary, really only one, for Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. Now, who doesn't identify with Martha, frustrated with all of the work that's in front of her? And who doesn't admire Mary's devotion to the Lord? So as we look into the lives of these two women and think about Jesus' words to them, we'll find that he has much to reveal to us about our hearts and what it means to be a servant and what will distract us from God-honoring service. Now, we started our last lesson this way. We're going to do it again and start by taking a quick look at what this passage is not about. This passage is not about personality types or temperaments. The fact that Mary was sitting at Jesus' feet listening to his words does not mean that she was unwilling to serve. And Jesus is not trying to help us learn how to be balanced between Martha-type service and Mary-type solitude. And the point of this passage is not that we should be unconcerned with serving. Rather, in this passage, Jesus focuses on the choices we make. In verse 42, he says, Mary has chosen the good part. 
And the implication is that Martha has not. And he focuses in on the choice we make, not on the choices that others make that might present challenges for us, but on our own choices. Jesus says that there is one choice that rises above all other choices. It has a necessity that outshines all the other necessary choices we must make. This choice brings fullness and effectiveness to life and to ministry that is impossible without it. This is a choice that Jesus is even prepared to defend and protect from the criticism of others. And if we miss this choice, we will find our service lacking. And what is the source of our choices but our hearts? Remember Proverbs 4:23, above all else guard your heart for it is the wellspring of life. Everything flows from the heart. So if we're going to understand this choice that Jesus highlights, we need to take a look at the heart. So in Luke 10, we're going to start by seeing in verse 38, a heart to serve. Then we'll see, number two, a heart engaged. These are all in your outline. Number three will be a heart distracted. Number four, we'll see a heart set right. And then number five, we'll see a heart that feasts. So let's look at the lives of Mary and Martha. They are two sisters. Martha's older and Mary's younger. And they have a brother, Lazarus, who later dies and then is brought back to life by Jesus. And you can find that in John 11. You'll notice that there's no mention of servants, which were actually common in that day, which implies that all the responsibilities for hospitality fell to Martha and Mary. So let's look at Roman numeral one, a heart to serve. Go ahead and read with me again at verse 38. It says, Now as they were traveling along, he, Jesus, entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. Martha started with good intentions. She welcomed Jesus into her home, perhaps for a meal, perhaps for the evening, or possibly as a place to stay while he was in the village, in much the same way that Jesus told his disciples to stay in the homes that would receive them when he sent them out to preach in the villages in Luke 9 and earlier in Luke 10. And many commentators believe that an invitation to Jesus would naturally include extending hospitality to the men who traveled with him. So this is no small thing that Martha is offering. Now, the idea of welcomed means that she received Jesus under her roof for the purpose of showing hospitality and kindness to him. The word communicates that she wanted to count him as her own. She was, in a sense, saying, you belong here. I want to shower you with goodness and kindness. I want to serve you. I want to meet your needs. She wanted to extend this kindness and hospitality. And yet, there is a great warning here. We can have the best of intentions to serve and extend kindness to those in our household, to those we invite in, and yet, a good start does not guarantee a good outcome. We must not be deceived into thinking that good intentions are good enough. 
We all have the potential to undo our good intentions if we're not careful. We must guard against that undoing by choosing the one thing that Jesus says is necessary. So let's take a look at Mary and learn a little bit more about that choice. Roman numeral 2, we see Mary with a heart engaged. Verse 39 says that she, Martha, had a sister who was seated at the Lord's feet, listening to his word. Mary humbly and submissively desired to be with Jesus. She was taking full advantage of the opportunity to spend time listening to him. She understood that the Son of God himself was a guest in her home. Now, as a woman, Martha had every cultural reason to not be where she was, seated at his feet, listening to him. She had every reason to be with Martha instead. A woman serving a rabbi in that day was not uncommon. But here, Mary is assuming the role of a disciple under a rabbi. That was unusual. And it helps us to understand the strength of her desire to be with Jesus to learn from Jesus. Mary understood the priority and the privilege of being with Jesus. This was a woman who was shepherding her heart toward Jesus Christ in order to drink in his words because they revealed more of him to her. She wanted Jesus. And isn't that the heart that we want to strive for? Well, let's look back at Martha. Roman numeral 3, we see in verse 40, Martha with a heart distracted. Verse 40 begins, but Martha. That but means we've got a contrast coming. We just saw Mary seated at the Lord's feet, but Martha was distracted. Anyone know what that's like? To be distracted means to be drawn away. In particular, it means to be driven about mentally. Martha's mind was all over the place. She had become overoccupied and too busy with her preparations. And the word distracted here is passive. It's a passive verb, means that she didn't fight it. She just let it happen to her. She just got swept away. Instead of keeping the focus that she seemed to have in verse 38, when she welcomed Jesus into her home, she allowed herself to be pulled away from Jesus. In addition, Jesus described Martha as worried and bothered in verse 41. Now, to be worried means to be anxious or troubled about something. To scan it minutely. I can't miss anything. I've got to stay on top of it all. I've got to see it all. And then I wind up being weighed down by all the care that comes from what I see. I think today we might just use the word, she's all stressed out. Now, the Greek word for bothered is turbazo. It's the same word from which the English word turbulent is derived. Isn't that a picture of what's going on inside of her? Martha is troubled. She's all stirred up, and she is visibly showing her agitated mind. The focus of worried is inward uneasiness, while bothered is the outward confusion and bustle. 
And what is it that has poor Martha so bothered and worried and distracted? Well, look at verse 40 again. But Martha was distracted with all her preparations. Now, it's really, really, really important that we understand that it was not wrong for Martha to be serving Jesus. And it's not wrong for us to serve those in our households and those in our body and our neighbors, whoever's in our sphere of influence. Serving and working hard is good. It's commendable. In the early church, women were known for their service. In uh, Romans 16, verses 1 and 2, Paul commends Phoebe, who was a servant and a helper to the church and to Paul in particular. In Romans 16.3, Paul refers to Priscilla as his fellow worker in Christ Jesus. In Acts 16.14 and 15, we see Lydia opening up her home and extending hospitality both to Paul and to the church. In Luke 4, verse 39, we find that immediately after Jesus healed Peter's mother-in-law, she got up and waited on them. She served them. These women were not in any way rebuked for their service. So our passage here is certainly not saying that we should ignore extending kindness. In fact, look at uh, right here in the passage where we are. In Luke 10, if you look back at verse 33... Go ahead and look there. Do you see what it is? It's the Good Samaritan. It's where Jesus has just taught that we need to love each other by our actions, by serving our neighbor. Serving reflects the image of God. We were created to bear the image of Jesus as one who serves. So hard work is not Martha's problem. It's not our problem. That is not what spoils ministry or service. What spoiled Martha's ministry was a heart that was not fixed and anchored and steadied and riveted on Jesus and his word. That is a heart that is easily distracted and swept away. In this case, by much preparation. We saw that in verse 40, but Martha was distracted by all her preparations. Literally, she was distracted by much service. Jesus said in verse 41, you are worried and bothered about so many things, meaning more than what was necessary. Martha put an exaggerated value on excessive service. And she was distracted by all that she thought she had to do. Now, how might we know if that's us? Well, at one point, I was looking for some help and learning how to manage everything in our household. And we just started homeschooling. And there's housework and errands and doctor's appointments and all that stuff. And so I, I found a book, and it encouraged me to pray and then write down everything I thought I needed to do. Sleep. No. <laughs> everything. Like, you have to write down sleep, right? That takes time. And so I wrote down everything and tried to figure out how much time everything needed and added it all up and, you know, figured out how much time, did the math. And I came up with the number 27 hours a day. <laughs> I thought I needed 27 hours a day to get everything done that I thought God wanted me to do. Clearly, 
my idea of what I needed to get done was excessive. It wasn't what God had for me to do. It was so instructive to see that, and it was actually so freeing. Like, okay, now I can revisit this list and prayerfully reevaluate what needs to go. Now, we all know that we can miss the heart of serving our families and others by being lazy. But we can also miss having the right heart of service by being distracted by doing too much. When our hearts are swept away and they're not anchored to Jesus, that is when we lose our focus and we can't even see what we really need to do or not do. And that's what happened to Martha. She was distracted by her excessive service and in doing so, she missed what was necessary. She missed the good part. She missed the opportunity to learn from the one she was trying to serve. And we, like Martha, may very well be distracted and worried and bothered by an inaccurate view of what we need to do. But that's not all that we can get carried away with, right? Now stop for a second. Just ask yourself, what are you, when are you most prone to getting all worked up like Martha was? Is it when you're trying to be a man pleaser instead of a God pleaser? That could have been a temptation for Martha, being concerned with what people think of her service. Proverbs 29.25 calls that the fear of man. And it says the fear of man brings a snare. It easily ensnares us into the same kind of turmoil we see in Martha. Or are you wanting to serve yourself in that situation? Maybe you just want things done your way and you want everyone else to be as committed to that as you are. Maybe you're excessively concerned with what others are doing or not doing. Maybe judging them, being embittered toward them. Rather than fixing your eyes on your Savior and the privilege of knowing and serving him? Or are you ever more concerned with what you get done than with how you get it done when you're tempted to be carried away like Martha was? We might rely on intimidation, manipulation, certain tone of voice, nagging, because getting it done becomes more important to us than being like Christ in that moment. If we desire to grow in grace, we must be on our guard so that we are not carried away by anything. That we don't let these things take our focus off of Jesus. When we don't guard our hearts, that's when we allow ourselves to be distracted, swept away. That is when we miss out on the good part. We miss out. And when we do, rather than displaying our love for Jesus, our service becomes a display of our misplaced priorities. It becomes a burden. Working hard is not wrong. But having a heart that is swept away from the one we are ultimately serving, that is terribly wrong. So let me just ask you, whose choice was this? This distracted worried, bothered heart. Did Mary choose it for Martha? Did Jesus? 
not their fault, is it? No, Martha chose this heart for Martha. And we do ourselves a lot of good when we realize that when our hearts hold weakly to Christ, it's because we choose it to be that way. Martha chose to have a distracted, worried, bothered heart. And it didn't stay confined within Martha. It bore bitter fruit. And if our heart is in the wrong place, it will soon produce bitter fruit as well. So look again at verse 40. Martha was distracted with all her preparations, and she came up to him. Martha came up to Jesus. There was a sudden suspension of her feverish activity when she saw her sister just sitting there. And it's as if she was working and then she was just done. She was fed up and she thought she had a good reason for being thoroughly annoyed. So in her outburst of anger, Martha interrupted Jesus. And what's on her mind? Well, let's finish reading the verse. Martha was distracted with all her preparations, and she came up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Then tell her to help me. Martha is looking for someone to blame. That is the first bitter fruit. First, she reproached Jesus. Lord, do you not care? She accused Jesus of being insensitive. This is the Savior who's on his way to Jerusalem, who set his face resolutely to go to the cross and die. And she asked him, don't you care? In other words, you care about Mary, but what about me? She's accusing Jesus of partiality. And Martha didn't stop with blaming Jesus. She also reproached Mary for abandoning her. My sister has left me to do all the serving alone. Martha's heart was not anchored to be near Jesus. She was distracted by all her preparation and service. And at this point, she couldn't even begin to evaluate her own heart. She was completely blind to her own sin, and all she could see was what she thought was wrong with those outside of her. Can you believe what we are capable of? See, it'd be really tempting to say, can you believe what Martha was capable of? But I do this. Do you see the sin that we so easily slide into when we don't diligently shepherd our hearts to Jesus continually? We can easily allow ourselves to be distracted, carried away, stirred up in our minds, in our emotions, by our excessive expectations of what we need to get done. And we sin right in the middle of our service. We look outside ourselves. We look for excuses. We assume we know others' motives. And we make accusations even toward now, I want to show you a couple other examples of this. Go ahead and turn over to Numbers 11. We're going to look at Numbers 11, verses 11 through 14. Numbers 
We find different circumstances here, but it's the same attitude, the same accusation as Martha made. Moses experienced something like this in his ministry. So Numbers 11, 11. So Moses said to the Lord, Why have you been so hard on your servant? And why have I not found favor in your sight that you've laid the burden of all this people on me? Was it I who conceived all this people? Was it I who brought them forth? That you should say to me, carry them in your bosom as a nurse carries a nursing infant to the land which thou didst swear to their fathers. Where am I going to get meat to give to all this people? For they weep before me, saying, give us meat that we may eat. I alone am not able to carry all this people because it's too burdensome for me. Don't you just love that? I can't do it. (laughs) What was lacking in Moses' thinking about his ministry to God's people? He was lacking a sense of dependence on God. He forgot all that God had done in providing for this people and providing for him. His focus was not on God. It was on himself. Now turn over to Mark 4. Now verses 35 and 36 tell us that it was evening and that it was getting dark and that Jesus had just gotten into a boat with his disciples. And we read in verse 37... There arose a fierce gale of wind, and the waves were breaking over the boat so much that the boat was already filling up. And he himself was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are dying? We're perishing. And being aroused, he rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Hush, be still. And the wind died down, and it became perfectly calm. And he said to them, Why are you so timid? How is it that you have no faith? Now notice verse 38. What is their accusation? Teacher, don't you care? Does that sound familiar? We are so quick to draw wrong conclusions about God based on our circumstances. This accusation reveals the disciples' heart, it reveals Martha's heart, and often it reveals our hearts. There is a great warning for us here. Our hearts can so easily become self-centered and focused on ourselves at the very moment that we need to be focusing on Jesus, trusting in Jesus. It shows us how badly we need to be soaking in God's word so we don't forget him throughout our day, so that our thoughts, our responses, our hearts reflect what is true about him. You know, sometimes when I've allowed myself to get into that turmoil turmoil like Martha was, I might think something like, okay, gospel, I need the gospel. I know Christ died for this. But in that moment when I've already headed down that path, That truth about Jesus seems remote from my struggle. But that's untrue thinking. That's not accurate. 
That is not truthful thinking about the cross. The cross is never removed. It's never remote from the here and now, no matter what path of sin I've gone down. Jesus is always relevant. He's always the one we need. And when we find ourselves in a place where that reality doesn't seem to make a difference, doesn't impact our hearts, we should be very concerned. We've wandered far from what is true in that moment. And that's when we have to stop. Quiet our hearts before the Lord and let the word, let the gospel set our thinking and our heart right again. Well, let's look back at Martha again. Poor gal, we're going to just work her over. She's distracted. She's upset. She's blaming others. But that is not the end of the bitter fruit. Look again at verse 40. She said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? See, Martha has become very self-centered at this point. She was concerned that she was left alone in her excessive service. From Martha's self-centered perspective, Mary had deserted her. Now, don't miss what Martha was acknowledging here. She said, do you not care that my sister has left me? Martha was acknowledging that Mary had been serving But Mary, unlike Martha, knew what part of serving was necessary and then was willing to stop so she could focus on Jesus. Mary understood the right priorities. She had prepared what was necessary, but then she left her service to listen to Jesus' teaching. But meanwhile, Martha felt entitled to Mary's help. She was so self-absorbed that she couldn't see that Mary left for a good reason, the right reason reason. And so she gets bossy. Again in verse 40, we see that she said to Jesus, then tell her to help me. She told Jesus what to do. Martha wanted her sister to help her bear her unnecessary burden, and so she demanded that Jesus tell Mary to help. One commentator says that Martha took a stance over Jesus, forgetting who she was and to whom she was speaking. She forgot that she was his servant and that he was her master. Martha was convinced that Mary should serve her rather than Jesus. Do you see the pride in that? She thought she knew what was best for everyone. Just do it my way. And just like Martha, our sinful pride can make us susceptible to judgment and all kinds of evil, anger, resentment, jealousy, distrust, a critical spirit, unkindness. It's so easy to get caught up in our own whirlwind of things to do, and we can forget whose we are as slaves of Jesus Christ. We forget how needy we are, that we need him. It's his strength and his words which help us persevere with what needs to be done. And to know what is truly important, 
being with Jesus shapes our attitude so that we're willing to repent of our pride and put aside the things that are not necessary so that our serving will bring honor to him. Well, let's look at one last bitter fruit that is born by Martha's simply distracted heart. We see it in Jesus' words in verse 42. Let's read beginning in verse 41. But the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things. But only one thing is necessary, for Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. Now when Jesus said that, which shall not be taken away from her, he revealed something very frightening about what was going on inside of Martha. Martha was so bitter over Mary's choice that she wanted to take away from Mary what she had found in being near Jesus. Martha was deceived into thinking that her distracted service was most important. And she began to despise her sister's wholehearted eagerness to receive instruction from Jesus. And we, too, ruin our service when we overestimate our worth. That's Martha's heart issue. Jesus knew that Martha's heart was not right. There is nothing good in Martha's anxious and troubled agitation. No doubt Martha loved Jesus, but she was completely blind to her own heart problem. Her misguided idea of what it meant to serve him had to be exposed so she could repent of it. And so we see in verses 41 and 42 a heart set right. Let's read that again. But the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things, but only one thing is necessary. For Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. The searcher of hearts knew Martha's heart problem. It's obvious by her words and actions that she's outwardly upset. But Jesus also knew what was going on inside of Martha. And so, like a tender parent, Jesus exposed Martha's sin and gave her the gentle rebuke that she needed. Martha, Martha. Let me just get your attention here. Right? That's when we repeat ourselves. You didn't hear me the first time. Martha, Martha. The repetition of her name reveals Jesus' marked disapproval, to be sure, but it's also intended to bring her back gently. There's a sense of tender affection and grace in Jesus' concern for Martha. She needed to be lovingly and yet firmly rebuked because she was missing out on what was most important. Jesus was helping her to understand that she was overwhelmed and that she had exaggerated the, ne the necessity of what she was doing. Proverbs 27, 6 tells us, Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Jesus' words are the balm that Martha's heart needed. 
she needed to see that her heart was distracted and worried and bothered and she needed to see that she had been unwilling to see her own sin. That she was only looking outside of herself and making an inaccurate diagnosis of what she sensed was wrong with those around her. Whenever we criticize others and pity ourselves for feeling overworked, we'd better take time to examine our hearts. Perhaps in all of our busyness, we've been ignoring the Lord. Martha's problem was not that she had too much to do, but rather her problem was that she allowed her work to distract her and pull her away. If serving Christ makes us difficult to live with, there is something terribly wrong with our hearts. Jesus knew Martha needed to understand that her motive was not pure. Who was the focal point of Martha's service? It was Martha. Therefore, Jesus was not honored by Martha's service. He had no intention of defending it. Jesus knew what Martha needed. He knew there was he knew that there was only one thing. One thing. It's what Mary chose to sit at the feet of Jesus and learn from him. And we must choose to feast on his word and not allow our hearts to wander in our service. Now, did Martha heed the lesson? You know, we don't know exactly but it's interesting that in John 12:2, just six days before Jesus would be hanging on the cross, he's back in Bethany again eating supper, and it says Martha was serving. And there's no rebuke. There's no account of her making any interruptions, telling Jesus what to do. She's just serving. And so I think we have reason to at least hope that Martha did get it. Well, finally, in verse 42, we see a heart that feasts. The rest of Jesus' response commends Mary's choice. Verse 42 says, He said, But only one thing is necessary, for Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. She had chosen the one thing that mattered, to sit and be with Jesus. She had chosen the good part. And as we just said, we too must discipline ourselves to that. It is a choice we make. It doesn't say she did it when she felt like it, but that she chose it. And if we are to choose what Jesus says is the good part, we have to plan for it. It's a commitment of time and effort. If we are to have the one thing that is necessary, then we've got to say, okay, This has got to go in my schedule, and it's got to stay in my schedule. And something over here in my schedule, it might have to go so that this has priority. I have to make room for this choice. Now, have you ever noticed we don't have to make plans for our heart to drift? That just happens, right? (laughs) (laughs) But we do have to plan to meet with Jesus and his word. We don't have to plan for self-importance that would keep us away from the word to rear its ugly head. But we do have to plan for Jesus' importance to gain ground in our lives. In the midst of Mary's service, she chose something that led her 
from her service in order to improve her service. Can you imagine what she might have been like when she stepped back into the preparations helping Martha? Can you understand the difference that her time with Jesus would have made? How her servanthood would be better? How Martha would be ministered to by a but would be ministered to by a woman who had been near Jesus. See, the whole atmosphere of service had the potential with being filled with the aroma of Christ. Do you see the importance for us in this lesson? Wisdom would dictate that a servant, and we're all servants, right? That a servant would use her time very wisely when she's not serving that we would use time away from service to shepherd our hearts to the word of God in order to get the God of the word so that we can enter back into our service refreshed and prepared to serve relying on God's grace. What we do with our hearts every morning, every night, coming before God with a humble heart, a submissive heart posture, will make more of an impact on our service in our homes and in our small groups, next generation ministries and set up and tear down in our schools, in our jobs, than anything else we might do. In a sermon Spurgeon gave on this passage, he said, you are not losing time while you are feeding the soul. Martha was interested in accomplishing, but Mary was interested in a person. She was consumed with Christ, and she chose to feast on his words. Mary saw Jesus for who he was. Therefore, she disciplined herself to make the choice to be near her portion. Now listen to some verses that describe God as our portion, and hear the hope that the psalmist finds in knowing God in this way. Psalm 73:26 says, "My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever." <clears throat> Psalm 142:5 says, "I cried out to you, O Lord. I said, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living." And Psalm 119:57 says, "The Lord is my portion. I have promised to keep your words. I sought your favor with all my heart. To be close to God and to have him as one's portion is to have a heart that's teachable and eager to learn. There's a single-mindedness about Mary. We sense her wholehearted love for her Savior, that nothing will tear her away from him. Mary chose what would ultimately benefit her heart and what would benefit those around her. And when we, like Mary, choose this treasure, we will never be disappointed. This is a treasure that will not be taken away from us. And how do we know that? We have the privilege of being able to look back on the cross and all that Jesus accomplished there. And, and we so need to remember that, in, especially in light of a passage that's just so penetrating. 
listen to all that we've been warned against. We've been warned that good intentions don't guarantee a good outcome. We've seen that we can easily allow our hearts to become distracted and anxious and bothered when we aren't vigilant to constantly shepherd them back to Jesus. We saw that we can easily misjudge what is actually necessary for service and that when we do so, we can easily allow that to lead us down a path of sinful distraction so that we miss the very one that we're trying to serve. And we also saw that we can allow other things to distract us from a heart fixed on Jesus, perhaps the fear of man, selfishness, other misplaced priorities. We were warned that if we find our hearts carried away like Martha's was, that it's because of our own choice to hold weakly to Christ. And we also saw that a sinfully distracted heart bears bitter fruit, blaming, being self-centered, bossiness, bitterness, and all the while being blind to the very dangerous place to which our heart has wandered. We can so easily sin against those closest to us, again, right in the middle of our service. And so we need to take this seriously. We need to repent where God's word exposes sin, and we can be encouraged. I am so thankful for the ways that the Lord has convicted me through this lesson because I can be so much better prepared to see where I'm allowing myself to be distracted from Jesus and to be so much more wary of the bitter fruit that that will produce. And in the midst of conviction and encouragement, we have to remember our hope. Always, always. Jesus knew that we would be women, just like Martha, who would need to be forgiven and cleansed and made new in him. And so he died and he rose again for us. And we need to remember that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We see that in how gently Jesus restored Martha. Jesus told Martha that she was worried and bothered about so many things. And you and I get worried and bothered about so many things. And Christ died for our sinfully worried and bothered hearts. If we are in Christ, we are no longer slaves to sinful worry and distraction or any of its bitter fruit. But we are slaves to Christ. And so even when we find that we have become distracted and worried and bothered, we can flee right back to our Savior Jesus, to our Master And we can cry out and confess that we need him. And he is faithful to reorder our priorities and our hearts. You see there in your notes, there's a quote from J.C. Ryle. He wrote, Mary chose what was for the benefit of her soul. She was seeking more grace. She was striving after closer communion with God and his Christ. This was the portion which she preferred to everything else and to which she was willing for a time to postpone all earthly care. 
Those who seek such a portion will never be disappointed. Their treasure will never be taken from them. Now, before we go to the Lord in prayer, I want to just give you some questions to ponder. You can jot some down if you want, if they're helpful to you. And then I'll pray. And when I close, I'd like everybody just to stay seated for five minutes maybe. Just to take the time just to evaluate ourselves in light of the lesson where there's sin, to confess it and to preach the gospel to yourself. Feel free to get in the word. It's just so important we never deal with our sin apart from the cross. And then after we've had just a time to quiet our hearts and process a little bit of what God has put in front of us here, then we'll break up and go into our groups. I'll come up and dismiss us, all right? So some of the questions I have for you. First of all, it's just good to evaluate, am I a servant of Jesus Christ? Have I been brought to the end of myself and my bondage to myself and to my sin? Only the cross does that. If you are seeking to serve yourself, only the cross of Jesus can liberate you from the bondage that you have to your own will. That's the primary sin that all of us battle. Now, if you are a servant of Jesus Christ, how would you describe your service lately? What are you doing with your heart? What kind of choices have you been making? Have others been hurt by your fretful heart, your blaming, your bossiness, your bitterness? Will you seek them out and ask them to forgive you? Will you confess it to the Lord? Have you spoiled relationships in your household or your service? Remember Jesus' words to Martha. Jesus was ready to shepherd Martha, and he's ready to help us shepherd our hearts back to himself. Let me pray. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for being a good master. Thank you for being relentless in exposing our sin and drawing us ever nearer to you. Lord, you are our hope. Lord, all I have is Christ. Jesus, you are my life. Lord, I pray that that refrain would resonate in each of our hearts and each of our minds as we cry out to you for the grace which you've already delivered, which you've already purchased, which you've already promised, which you've already lavished, to walk forward as those who have hearts that are shepherded to you and by you, to be near you, that our service might truly be that which pleases you. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, take just a few minutes on your own.
Hebrews 4 says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Father, thank you for giving us a faithful high priest through whom we can draw near to you. Lord, you have provided the way, a sufficient way, the only way for us to be cleansed and forgiven and renewed and restored and transformed. And we are so thankful for Jesus and your provision. Lord, you also supply your grace through your body. Lord, you've saved us to be members of one another. We each belong to one another, your word says. You have given each of us gifts for the building up of one another. So I pray, Lord, that now as we go and have these closing moments together, that you would use us in one another's lives, Lord, to build one another up, to encourage one another, to spur one another on, Father, to care for one another well in a way that flows right out of the grace you've poured into us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Thank you, ladies.